Hiya, handsome. Come to join the party. Hey, party people. Welcome to the Patrama Party, where we hang out in the kitchen with that one other person who wants to talk about sad shit while everyone else dances and hooks up. So grab your Bonnie Bear playlist and your red plastic cup and let's get into it. I'm your host, Remy Ramirez. And first, I wanted to just shout out Cassie. Cassie responded to the episode on the mother wound saying, I was raised by a single mom who was hot and cold and had reactions that would feel over the top for simple events. And this felt so validating. Add the ancestral trauma and it's finally clear. Dude, thanks for letting me know, Cassie. I'm so glad the episode was helpful. I that one was a yeah, that one was a big one. And if y'all have any thoughts you want to share with me about an episode, hit me up. I love reading your responses. You have no idea. Also, just some housekeeping. I'm going to take a break, y'all. What? That's right. Holy shit. I've been working my nine to five while doing this podcast for over two years now. And I'm tired. <laughs> I'm tired. And then I realized other podcasters do seasons. I was like, what? I could take a break. So yeah, I bought a ticket to New Zealand for February because I mean, I mean, because they were on sale. Let's be honest. <laughs> they were very on sale. They were like more than half off. So I'm going to do that and I'm going to hydrate and I'm going to not worry about some things for a minute. Maybe go to a hot spring. Hey, if you have a natural hot spring recommendation in New Mexico or Arizona or California, hit me up. I live for a good hot spring. So yeah, I'm thinking I'll end this season in quotation marks, this two year plus long season in January and then come back in March probably. So just a couple months, enough time for y'all to go back through the archives and listen to any epis you've missed along the way. And then I'll be back. And also on that note, if this pod has helped you over the last two years and you want to help me make more episodes for the cost of a cup of coffee, you can just find the pod on Spotify, hit the about tab and click the link in there that says support this podcast. Okay, this week, we're talking about healing a distrust of men. Thank you so much to the listener who suggested this topic a full year ago. I'm sorry it's taking me so long. I've, it's been on my radar. It's definitely been on my radar. Like it's, I've been thinking about it a lot. And we're finally getting into it. I just want to say, on the surface, I think it may seem like this is a topic that only applies to women or even queer folks. But actually, since most violent crimes and sexual crimes are committed by men and men are sometimes the victims of those crimes, I think there are also a lot of men who don't trust men. So that's just to say this is a topic that I think lots of people can relate to. Certainly for me as a woman who has been cheated on by men, who's been assaulted by men, who was abused by her father, who's been sexually harassed by male bosses, who's been attacked more than once by men on the street, who has never had a boyfriend as an adult, <laughs> as I have definitely brought up on here before. Yeah, I can speak to this topic for sure. And I know that so many other people struggle with this and that it can feel really painful to navigate which is why I'm thrilled to welcome the heartbreak doula, Tatiana Simone, to the show. Welcome, Tatiana. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. Thank you so much, Remy, for having me. I'm so excited to be here. And this topic 
it really hits home for me. So I am excited to dive into it with you today. This is such a a juicy topic. There's so much here. There's just so much to get into. So I'm so stoked to do a deep dive with you. First, let's look at your astrology for a minute. You are a Sag sun. Yes. Taurus moon. Yes. (laughs) Pisces rising, which I think think makes you the first Sag Sun I've had on, which is so exciting because I am also a Sag Sun. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so exciting. And also like happy early birthday because it's about to be our season. So I know, I know Sag season is just like, I'm, I'm so hyped during Sag season. It's like when all the parties are happening and of course my birthday is happening and your birthday. And like, it's just a fun time of year before we enter the like <laughs> the winter season. So um yes. deep into the winter. So yeah, I I love being a Sag. Sagittarius mm-hmm. is a fire sign. So we're adventurous and fun and we get excited about things, but we're a mutable sign. So we're also adaptable. We can get along with all kinds of personalities. From mm-hmm. a deeper perspective, Sagittarius is the curious explorer and that can be literal, right? Like some Sag folks love to travel and learn about different cultures and ways of life, or it can be more internal. Sagittarius mm-hmm. sometimes love education, love spirituality, love healing modalities. And that's the kind of exploring that they love to do. It's like more of an internal exploration. Taurus in the moon placement is wonderful for grounding the emotional realm. Taurus is an earth sign. So this placement values like a calm emotional response to things, loves love because Taurus is ruled by Venus, goddess of love, which would make for a really cozy, warm feeling in the emotional realm. And then that Pisces rising, Pisces is a spiritual healer of the Zodiac. Virgo heals the physical realm while Pisces heals the spiritual emotional realm. Pisces is one of the most empathetic and intuitive signs in the Zodiac. So a person with a Pisces rising would easily feel a lot of emotions that could then be grounded by that Taurus moon. And then the Sag would keep the vibes upbeat and open. Does any of that resonate for you? I feel like you just described me exactly to a T. Like, so clearly that is me a hundred percent, especially, um, it's so cool because I've always been an explorer and, um, mostly in my internal realms, but this year it actually came through in the physical where I went to Europe for a couple of months and I had no plans at all. I was like, I'm just going to go and we're going to see how it happens and we're going to see how it flows. And it was so magical how I was just taking care of the entire like nearly three months I was there with like no plans. So that was like my Sag coming out very strong externally. Um, and then everything else you said about Pisces and Taurus, like it is a hundred percent me. <laughs> well, astrology doesn't lie. This is what I always say. You know, if you want to know the truth, look at your chart. <laughs> yes. I feel like it also speaks exactly to why I do the work that I do. So thank you for explaining that. Yeah. 100% a Pisces rising, like you are absolutely doing the work that your soul wants to do in this lifetime, according Mm -hmm. to your astrology, for sure. Yes. Cool. Okay. I'm going to jump into my experience on this topic. While I do that, feel free to interject with thoughts, feelings, you know, prophecies about the future. (laughs) If you know what's going to happen in the election next year, just go ahead and yell that out. Or you can just chill out, make a TikTok vid, drink a smoothie. Either way, I'll turn some questions over to you at the end. How does that sound? 
That sounds great. I'm feeling into it and I feel like I want to sit and witness you and your story. But if spirit moves and I have something to say, I will definitely hop in. That sounds perfect. Okay, here we go. I honestly don't even know to where, like where to begin with this one, because I feel like on some level, almost every episode I've done to date comes back to this topic in one way or another. This has been a massive issue in my healing journey. And, and I, I, I don't have enough time in one episode to talk about all the factors that have contributed to my struggle with trusting men. But I'll start here. A few years ago, I was in New York in this bookstore and I saw this bright magenta book called I'm Afraid of Men. It was on a shelf and I just like beelined for it. It's written by Vivek Shreya, who's a trans artist and writer. I bought the book and read it pretty much all at once. I'm going to read a small excerpt from this book because I'm not queer. I'm white passing. I'm cisgendered. I'm a lot of things that Vivek Shreya isn't. But I related instantly to so much of what she says in the opening of this book. So let me just read this to you. This is how the book starts. I'm afraid of men because it was men who taught me fear. I'm afraid of men because it was men who taught me to fear the word girl by turning it into a weapon they used to hurt me. I'm afraid of men because it was men who taught me to hate and eventually destroy my femininity. I'm afraid of men because it was men who taught me to fear the extraordinary parts of myself. My fear was so accurate that it took me almost two decades to undo the damage of rejecting my femininity to salvage and reclaim my girlhood. Even now, after coming out as a trans girl, I'm more afraid than ever. This fear governs many of the choices I make from the beginning of my day to the end. In the morning, as I get ready for work, I avoid choosing clothes or accessories that will highlight my femininity and draw unwanted attention. On the hierarchy of harassment, staring is the least violent consequence for my gender nonconformity that I could hope for. And yet the experience of repeatedly being stared at has slowly mutated me into an alien. If I decide to wear tight pants, I walk quickly to my bus stop to avoid being seen by the construction workers outside my building who might shout at me as they have on other mornings. When I'm on a packed bus or streetcar, I avoid making eye contact with men so that no man will think I might be attracted to him and won't be able to resist the urge to act upon this attraction. I squeeze my shoulders inward if a man sits next to me so that I don't accidentally touch him. If I open Twitter or Facebook on the way to work, I brace myself for news reports of violence against women and gender nonconforming people, whether it's a story about another trans woman of color who's been murdered or the missing and murdered indigenous women or sexual assault. As important as it is to make these incidents visible by reporting them, sensationalizing and digesting these stories is also a form of social control a reminder that I need to be afraid and try to be as invisible as possible. So yeah, when I read that, I immediately, I was like, yeah, all, all of that turning, it's turning to my experience. There are obviously the fears and the distrust that come along with being constantly sexualized by men. For me, what's been hard about that is not that I don't feel like a sexual person and then men turn me into that. 
That's not it at all for me. I have a Scorpio stellium. (laughs) Scorpio rules, like Scorpio rules genitalia. So expressing my sexual nature feels very comfortable and normal for me. And I, and when I say that, I just mean like in the way I dance, in the way I dress, like just, it's just like who I am. I remember when I was four back in the eighties, I was obsessed with Madonna obsessed. She was like this beacon of light to me at such an early age, because immediately like on a soul level, it was like, I recognized her energy. I just recognized it. It was like this strength in sexuality and having something intelligent to say about sexuality. I mean, I didn't know anything about my sexuality at four years old, but I could just feel intuitively that there was something in her energy that I aligned with. And also there was like her sort of rebellion around sexuality that I was also aware of being drawn to. But as I got older, it felt like this sense of, I don't want anyone to ever dampen my sexuality or own it or control it. I want to feel powerful and autonomous in my sexuality. It's mine. But of course, as I aged, the trauma started when I began to realize that the men I experienced more often than not didn't see my sexuality as this beautiful, powerful, awe-inspiring thing that they should have reverence for and that they should respect. In fact, it was like totally the opposite. My sexuality was something they hated or needed to dominate or try to take advantage of or manipulate or even try to hurt. The more I embodied my sexuality openly, the more traumatized I was. And of course, part of that is that we live in a patriarchy, right? Where we're all being brainwashed into thinking that women's sexuality is evil or cheap or both. I remember when I was probably 13 or so, I said to my mom that I didn't understand why there were no like archetypal figures of women who were both really sexy and really smart. And my mom said, well, there's that cliche about the hot librarian who takes her bun down after hours and like gets sexy. And I was like, no, that's a woman who's split in two. She's really smart in the day. And then she turns into this different person at night, right? Like this like uh, sex fiend figure, right? I'm talking about a woman who simultaneously embodies sexuality and intelligence. And my mom didn't have an answer to that because we don't have that figure in our culture. Women are allowed to be sexy, but not smart, or they're allowed to be smart, but not sexy. I love that interview with Lady Gaga, where some fucking idiot interviewer is like, do you feel like your sexuality takes away from your music? Like the way that you express sexuality, do you feel like it detracts from your music and makes people distracted from your music? And she was like, if I were Mick Jagger, would you ask me a question like that? That social expectation has created this backdrop for me in my personal traumas with men, this expectation that women be one or the other. I recently read a really good breakdown of how different attachment styles show up in sex. And it said that people who are anxiously attached tend to jump into sex because it's a way for us to feel bonded and connected to someone right away, right? Like we have all this anxiety about whether this person likes us or wants us and sex helps us feel liked and wanted. I say us because... I'm I'm anxiously attached. The first problem with that, though, is that it doesn't necessarily mean either of those things at all, right? Like people can and do all the time sleep with people that they don't really like and or don't desire outside of sex. But the other problem that I've had with that as a woman 
is that so many cis straight men are carrying toxic ideas about what it means for a woman to have sex right away, right? Like it means she's a slut or she's sex crazed or she's not girlfriend material or whatever misogynistic bullshit they want to espouse. When actually in my case, I was truly trying to feel close and bonded with this person. So there's been this tremendous wound for me in trying to connect with men and coming from this really kind of innocent, sweet, even worried place and wanting to feel intimate and close and instead getting demeaned or used or shut down. And then my experience was if I ever got up the nerve to say something because because there was a secondary pressure, right, of, of not caring. It was like, if you tell a man that you're sleeping with, that the way he's showing up is hurting your feelings, well, then you're a slut and needy on top of it and too much on top of it. I mean, there were just so many ways to get rejected. So often I wouldn't say anything at all, but in the couple instances that I did, the response was like, you're being stupid. I mean, that was verbatim. <laughs> Not the, That wasn't like the response. That was the response that I got with this one guy I was sleeping with who was overtly using me. This is back in my 20s. And when I said, I feel like you don't even like me as a person, his response was, you're just being stupid. I love talking to my lesbian friends about their sexual connections because they're living in a world without that same patriarchal influence. Those pressures just don't exist. It's fucking magical. They just get to be sexual and emotional and open. I mean, I want to I want to be clear. Not it's not that lesbians don't have struggles in their relationships, but there's no weird additional meaning around having sex with someone. It doesn't mean anything about who you are. And of course, that pressure to not have any emotions come up around sex also doesn't exist because typically those pressures are coming from men who are actively engaging with these patriarchal ideals. I was talking to a girlfriend recently and I said, I just don't do well with casual sex. And I said it in a way that was like self-deprecating, like, oh, I'm just not good at that. Right. And my friend was like, yeah, that's because it's an oxymoron. It's literally the least casual thing there is. There's nothing less casual than sex. <laughs> and I laughed so hard because it was obviously true. Like literally there is nothing less casual than having sex with someone, but we're just floating in this sick culture where we pretend that that's not the case. And it was so fucking validating to hear her say that because for so many years, I'd carried this shame around not being able to sleep with people and not care about it because the expectation from these men I was sleeping with was that I have sex with them when they wanted on their terms and then not have any feelings about it. I'd love to say that this was just the case when I was in my 20s, sleeping with dudes who were in their 20s, but I had this experience with a man in his 40s just a few years ago. Luckily, by that point in my healing, I was like, hey, can we talk about this? And when he literally refused to have a conversation with me about it, I was like, okay, goodbye. I mean, I'm not going to lie here. It was a fucking harrowing experience for me. My anxious attachment was in full effect, but I at least had the clarity at that point that I was done with that version of masculinity and I eventually walked away. So that's been a huge wound for me in my experience with men 
right? All of these thwarted attempts to connect with people I'm being super intimate with. But of course, it's not the whole picture. My dad was and is a narcissist and a and a sick person, you know? I grew up terrified of my dad. I recently had a memory surface that I thought was so interesting that I haven't talked about on here before. Um, this happened when I was seven. So some background, my mom and dad separated when I was just six months. They divorced because my dad was cheating and doing drugs and he had hit my mom and pushed her into a huge cactus. So my mom left and started her career. She was a single mom. But what that meant was that every once in a while, my dad would come over to the house and take care of us while my mom was gone, especially because the nature of my mom's work meant that sometimes she would have to leave town for days at a time. And so he would stay with us. And I hated when my dad came over. I was terrified of my dad. He was a super strict authoritarian, which was odd because he was an artist, but he was just um, mean. We got in trouble if we didn't say yes, sir, no, sir. There was lots of yelling when he was around. And so, of course, there was lots of crying on my part, which, you know, usually just made him angrier. By the time I was seven, I already knew that my dad wasn't a safe person. And in this instance, my mom had left for a weekend and my dad was staying at the house on the Saturday of this weekend, my Girl Scout troop was performing our play. We'd been rehearsing a play and I had a speaking role that I was super excited about, but it was, it was coinciding with this weekend that my dad was taking care of us. Well, my dad said something about what we were going to be doing that day. And it did not include going to my Girl Scout play. And I said, but I have a play today that I'm in for Girl Scouts. And my dad was just like, I don't know anything about that. And I remember I immediately knew it wasn't safe to push it. It wasn't safe to cry. It wasn't even safe to be disappointed. So I went into my room, got into my closet, closed the closet door and cried by myself in the dark where I knew he wouldn't hear me or see me and yell at me for being sad. So this distrust of men, this distrust of the masculine started early for me. But it didn't really feel true for me until I was cheated on by my high school sweetheart when I was 18. I've told that story on the pod several times, so I won't go get into the cheating aspect of it so much. But what I do want to draw attention to in that story, it's not about what he did, which, by the way, was really twisted. I mean, there's cheating and then there's like telling lie on top of lie on top of lie. I know at 18, we're all making tons of mistakes, but this was someone who was sociopathic in his deceptions and actually was later diagnosed as on the sociopathic scale. Anyway, I digress. Obviously, that was trauma. No doubt about that at all. But there's another part of it that really wrecked me. We're going to call my high school sweetheart, Brad. Brad and I had a lot of the same friends, and one of them was named Steve. Well, we're going to call him Steve. That wasn't really his name. Steve and I had become really close friends in the seventh grade. We were both obsessed with Joni Mitchell which, you know, not a whole lot of 12-year-olds are obsessed with Joni Mitchell. So we super bonded. And then the next year in eighth grade, Tori Amos came out. We were both obsessed with Tori Amos. We had this really sweet, special bond around music and poetry and lyrics. We both came from difficult families and Steve would come over to my house a lot. He'd come over on the holidays. We just loved each other. So fast forward a few years, we're in high school and Steve and Brad are good friends. And of course, Steve and I are still good friends as well. Well, Brad meets this girl who he wants to cheat on me with, and he plans a camping trip, a trip with her and two of her friends and him 
and two of his friends, including Steve. And Brad tells me that this girl is just a friend and that it's just like going to Bible camp. They're just going to go hike and make s'mores. They're just friends. And Steve would be there. So no worries. And he would call me as soon as they got back. But Brad didn't call me. A day goes by two days, three days. And finally, after four days, I still hadn't heard anything. So I called Steve sobbing because Brad wasn't responding to me. And I knew something was really wrong. So I call Steve. I'm crying. Steve's like, okay, I'm going to come over. He comes over and he just very nonchalantly delivers the news. Brad went on this camping trip to hook up with this girl, but then they hit it off so great that he brought her back down to LA, which is where I was at the time. After the trip, and he was taking her to Disneyland and Malibu and whatever, all these places. And now, you know, like he told me like it was just no big deal. And of course, the part he didn't speak to was that he had gone on this trip knowing the fucking plan, knowing that Brad was intending to hook up with this girl, never told me and went along on the trip because he wanted to hook up with this girl's friend who was also on the trip. I don't think I need to say much about how traumatizing that was. And, and like, yeah. And I think in the moment I was in so much pain about Brad, I mean, truly like out of body experience. Like I left my body as Steve was talking because I just like, couldn't handle the pain I was feeling that I couldn't digest Steve's betrayal in that moment. I couldn't process it. But years later, I realized that my deepest fear was that men don't really love women. They just use them for sex. Not that Steve used me for sex, but he dropped me in an instant when there was an opportunity for sex in front of him. Our, like at that point, six year friendship was nothing compared to this random hookup. And it wasn't like he ever apologized to me. And in fact, in keeping with how I've experienced a lot of men, he told me I was being a baby a few years later when I said when I said I didn't want to change clothes in front of Brad because yes, everyone stayed friends with Brad and I stayed friends with everyone, everyone being this group. So I would see him when I hung out with these people I was friends with and the narrative was always Remy don't make things weird. Not Brad, you're a piece of shit for cheating on Remy and there's consequences for your actions, right? And of course, if I'm going to talk about the fear that men don't love women, they just use them for sex, then I need to talk about sexual assault. I've been sexually assaulted twice, of course, not counting all the times men have like touched me on the streets or at parties and stuff like that. Beyond those moments, I was sexually assaulted once as a teenager and once in my 30s. Both incidents happened with men I knew and trusted. I won't go into the details of those experiences. I've talked about them on other episodes. But what I'll say in the context of this episode is that the depression I experienced both times was life-threatening. The second time, my mental health plummeted so terribly, it's like suicidal ideation, drinking by myself every night, isolating. I entered a profound dark night of the soul, and I was truly afraid that I would never be able to have sex again without freaking out and sobbing. A huge piece of that trauma was that the man who assaulted me was my best friend at the time. So not only was I having to work through the aftermath of the assault and this loss of innocence, I was also grieving what felt like the death of my best friend. And that left me absolutely grief stricken. 
I came out of that having no interest in trusting men again and simultaneously feeling like there was something wrong with me for not being able to trust men, which I think is also part of the gaslighting of of the culture and the patriarchy. One in six women will be raped or experience a rape attempt in her lifetime in the U.S. compared to one in 33 men. But if you don't trust men or if you want to hold men accountable, you're often labeled like problematic or I mean, people don't really use the term man hater anymore, but there's that that feeling. Right. I think some of that has been worked through in our culture, but literally just last week. Timbaland went on a podcast and said that Justin Timberlake should have muzzled, use the word muzzled Britney Spears for speaking out about the double standards in her relationship to him. So this is still very much a part of our culture, this idea that if you have a problem with men's behavior, you just need to shut up. And that erodes trust. So here we are. And for us heterosexual women who feel a deep distrust of men, and I say us heterosexual just because that's the point of view I can speak to. Although I, I, as I said before, I think a lot of people, men included, experience a distrust of men. But for my particular experience, heterosexual women who have that distrust are simultaneously looking for a man to partner with. So there's tremendous anxiety around it. For me, there's also been a lot of grief and despair, this feeling that it will never happen because so many men are walking around not going to therapy, not getting deprogrammed from all the toxic things they've been taught about women, not learning to feel their feelings and become more emotionally intelligent and available, not holding themselves accountable for the pain they've caused. I'll say, I do think that's true. Not of all men, definitely not of all men, but I think it is true of most men. A recent statistic I read showed that about 12% of men in the U.S. are getting are seeking out mental health services. So, yeah, it's not off base to say that very few men are working on themselves. And I don't say that to be discouraging or be like, therefore, don't trust men, right? Like, not at all. It's just to look honestly at the situation and say there are a lot of men that you can't trust. And that's maybe the difference between what I think some people would say and what I want to say. As a Sagittarius, the sign of the truth teller, I'm not here to sugarcoat anything. If you're looking for a man who's emotionally evolved and is okay to be wrong and can hold himself accountable, can talk about his feelings, and that's part of your requisite for trusting men and feeling emotionally safe with men, then yeah, there are a lot of dudes who won't make the cut. And that's a good thing to know. Being in denial about that will lead us to open ourselves to men who aren't trustworthy and will further traumatize the people they come into contact with. And there are also guys who would absolutely make the cut. But if we're completely closed off because we're so deep in our trauma and in the belief that men aren't trustworthy, we miss out on those guys. So that brings me to this. What has helped me heal that distrust of men? The first thing that's been so helpful for me is EMDR. After I was assaulted in my 30s, I started doing EMDR with my therapist around the belief that men don't love women because, man, she tried to reason me out of that belief using talk therapy and I was not having it. <laughs> I was like, no, they don't see us as human, period. We are a means to sexual gratification for them. End of conversation. And she was like, OK, well, we're going to need to go a different route. 
So we did EMDR to replace the traumatized thought men don't love women with some men don't love women and some men really do love women. And it worked. I really was able to change my thinking and feel this opening in my belief. Part of what made that successful for me was that she wasn't like, we're going to change this belief to all men are safe and you can trust them. And I think for those of us who could talk for hours about all the reasons we've struggled to trust men, a statement like that, I mean, besides being a lie, it would just freak us out and make us feel so invalidated and unseen and unsafe. So there has to be an element of truth in the new belief. Another piece of my healing has been actively looking for trustworthy men, whether that's in the news, in the zeitgeist, my friend's boyfriends, or some of my own friends. Like Mr. Rogers was such a good man. Holy shit. That was a good man. My grandpa was a good man. He was such a good husband and father to his um, daughter. He wasn't, he was my grandma's second husband. So he wasn't my dad's dad, but he was a wonderful grandpa to me as well. My friend Bree married a guy and he's the best. Shout out to Greg. We love Greg. He's smart and honest and kind and devoted and emotionally intelligent. And when I've posted in my Insta stories about my struggles with dudes, He's like, I get it. Men can be hard for me to be around. I can't imagine what it's like for women. He really hears me. He doesn't get defensive. I had a mentor years ago who told me that when she was trying to heal from being cheated on by her husband of 20 years, and she was deep in the belief that there were no good men, she would cut out pictures from magazines of men doing things that were good. Like she told me she cut out a picture of a man who had just delivered a baby. And it was a picture of him from National Geographic or something, just like holding this baby who'd just been born and looking at this child with loving eyes. There's a guy, I want to say this, this was in Nigeria. I was reading about this guy who was, he was a doctor and he was single-handedly trying to help Nigerian women with their reproductive health. He was like traveling all over, helping women with STDs and pregnancies and menstruation. And when women had been raped, because there's so much shame for these women around their bodies and their vaginas that they would never see doctors and they would have all these terrible health problems. And he was just like on this crusade to help women. So anyway, having these images of men who are genuinely good, cutting a picture out or putting their name somewhere as a reminder that these people are real, right? Like these men exist that can start helping our brains kind of rewire. Another piece for me in all this has been getting back in touch with the parts of myself that I betrayed because I let these guys and this patriarchy we're all living in tell me I was too emotional. I was too sensitive. I shouldn't make a big deal about it. Blah, blah, blah. Right. All this messaging from shutdown men in a shutdown culture telling me I should be shut down too. And I believed it. I felt ashamed of my feelings. Part of how we bring untrustworthy people into our lives is we don't trust ourselves. If I don't trust that how I feel is right, if I subscribe to the belief that there's something wrong with me, then when some dudes walk in and say, there's something wrong with you, you shouldn't have all those feelings, you're being too sensitive, you're being stupid, then instead of being like, wow, you're really shut down and that's too bad for you. I hope you get that figured out. Instead, we re-engage with them over and over and we get injured over and over and we deepen that wound that tells us we can't trust any men 
instead of finding the men who are like, oh shit, I'm listening. Tell me what's going on. Your feelings are important to me. Granted, I don't think our culture is overflowing with those men, but I do know that they exist because I've experienced them. I know that. But if I'm already in a space of betraying myself and not being a supporter of my own truth, then I easily welcome in people who do the same. Okay. Tatiana, how are you doing over there? I am listening to your story and just feeling such honor to receive your experiences. And I'm just like holding you in love for everything that you've moved through. I feel like it's such a relatable experience for many women, unfortunately. And I don't even like that word, unfortunately, but I feel like a lot of women can relate to the truth of your story. And I'm grateful that you've shared it so openly. Well, thank you for saying that. And I am really excited to hear your perspective. So let me just kind of jump in here. A lot of us who struggle to trust men didn't have trustworthy or emotionally available fathers. Can you speak to that a little bit? Like how does having an abusive or avoidant father wire our brains as children and impact our ability to trust men as adults? Absolutely. So the modeling that takes place as children is so crucial. What we see when we're growing up really sets the standard to what our nervous system is in wired to, and it formulates our beliefs. And so for me and my experience, I grew up where the men around me were not emotionally available. They were not emotionally attuned. Yes, they may have been present and yes, they may have not been physically dangerous, but emotionally, I felt unsafe. And that is the household that I grew up in, or that's what I saw around my community. Um, and then to take it a step further with society, all I did was see images of men cheating, men treating women like objects and music videos in movies and in school guys only liking you if you're cute. And then the next day they're insulting you. And so all of these things in the formative years that we're growing up can really play a huge role in what we come to believe about men. And when we have that belief, like men don't know how to attune to me emotionally. So I don't know how to open my heart to them. Then how can we expect to have deep, intimate relationships with them when we're of age to have adult relationships. If during my formative years, there was no man in sight that I could open my heart to and that I felt emotionally safe with. So when we're growing up, the experiences that we have within our household by our fathers or caregivers or from our outside community, they really impact as you have stated so clearly in your story, um, what we grow up to believe about men. And sometimes we don't easily make that connection when we're adults and we're ready for love. We're ready for intimacy and connection on the deepest level. Um, so I love that we're having this conversation to help kind of unpack those beliefs that they may or may not know are hidden beneath the surface. Right. I, I think it's so important that we draw attention to the fact that like, sometimes we don't even know what's happening behind the scenes in our own psyches, mm -hmm. that these beliefs are kind of running the show or these like wounds. And I think one thing that I was thinking about as you were talking, I related to everything you said, oh my God, just ugh, everything you said, especially, you know, like that pressure to be cute, that pressure, there's like that pressure between what is my 
true sexuality and my true nature and what is the pressure to like around being sexualized and around being um, hot or whatever that means. And um, one thing I was thinking about was this grief that is sort of omnipresent when we feel, when we're constantly feeling that, um, that like sort of cultural conflict between men and women. And um, it reminds me of this time when I was in, I want to say fourth grade, there was a game during recess four square where there were like four squares and one person could be in each square and you would like throw the ball to each other and there were rules and yes. there were ways of being out if you recall. And the boys at recess would make sure they would immediately, like if a, if a girl got into the square, one of the squares, they would, because they were stronger, they would like throw the ball really hard and a like really tricky way to make sure that we got out and then once all the girls were out of the circle they would just like play really nicely with each other so that none of them got out so that none of the girls could get back in Mm -hmm. and I remember like one of the boys had gotten me out so I went back to the line and then I saw what was happening right that like I wasn't going to play again during recess because they weren't going to let a girl back in and I was just crying and I was just like I just had this sense of injustice and sadness and, and confusion because like one of these guys, one of these boys was like a friend. I really liked him. But as soon as he got around the other guys, it was like the cult, this shift, right? This energy shift. It reminds me, we did a episode on here about toxic masculinity a while back. And my guest who I had on was talking about this time in high school when he was like shocked and offended when this girl who was a friend of his got a higher SAT score than he did. And I remember asking him like, oh, was there like a wound for you behind that? Or like, what was the reason that you felt that? Was it like, and he was like, no, I had genuinely been taught that boys were smarter than girls. And so I felt this anger towards her that like, how dare she be better than I was? And that just like, it really tuned me in to the fact that this is such a cultural thing. And when we are growing up in it and it's like the water that we swim in and we, we don't know that that's what's guiding us and how we navigate, then we're, we're like making these sort of unconscious choices coming back to your point. We're making these unconscious choices and a lot of them are driven by anger or by grief or by fear. And so those avoidant fathers that you spoke to, it's such a powerful thing in how we relate. And I think like, I guess maybe my question is, what does it look like for those of us who, for those of us who grew up with avoidant men who are now like as adults trying to relate and have intimacy with men, does it look like us being shut down or in your experience, what does that look like? Well, first I want to, I definitely want to answer that question, but I also want to speak to what you just mentioned of that experience that you had in um, fourth grade. I feel like our society is so conditioned because of patriarchy, like you mentioned, is so conditioned to have men be dominant and women be completely beneath that. And I feel like that attributes to the, 
the split between the inherent masculine and feminine energy that we all have within us and how our society does not honor the divine feminine that it that exists the the life force energy life is carried out through the feminine energy and when we can't honor that we can't honor that when it's present in a being if we can't honor the natural divine feminine energy that flows in all of creation then how can that be fully honored in the beings that carry them um and so i feel like that speaks to why some men are like you mentioned with the sat scores like how could this woman <laughs> how can she have any value uh, because at the root of it the divine feminine isn't valued for a lot of people and so i think one of the hopes. Um, and I definitely think there are many beautiful beings that are carrying out this intention, but it's to come back into union with the sacred divine uh, masculine and feminine that is within all of us. And when we do that, we can truly honor it in another. And so for those men that are able to be emotionally attuned and that are able to hold and honor women in the highest regard, um, I feel like they have gone on the journey to honor the divine feminine and masculine within themselves. And then that's how they can do it for the women in their lives. And so to answer your question now, I think for me, um, I would say how I've come to open my heart and keep my heart open, even having experienced all the things that I have throughout my childhood and just throughout my early adult life with men. Um, I would say the things that I have done to support and keeping my heart open is looking for images of men that hold the values that I desire in a partner. So similar to what you said about seeking the love that you desire or seeking that softness or that trust in men, just seeing it out in your life. And so for me, I love watching movies where the male role or the father or the husband is in integrity, is trustworthy, takes care of the children or the wife, or, you know, I don't like all of these traditional titles, but whatever you want to call it, um, that to me is nourishing. There has been documentaries um, specifically of Black men in the mental health space where they're open about their emotions and they're allowing themselves to cry and to hug each other and things like that. And that always warms my heart because it reinforces to me and my nervous system that this is possible. This does exist. And so similar to what you were saying about your experience of rewiring the nervous system and um, our beliefs around what can exist, e even if that is the complete opposite of everything we know up until this point. Uh, I really, really love that. And I, and I love what you say about like watching movies where men are in integrity because there is so much messaging that we get through movies, through, like you said, music videos and lyrics and all this stuff around like men sort of relishing in their ability to take women down or uh, demean women. Right. And like how fun that is and how like exciting that is and how cool that makes them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, it's a similar idea around like seeking out these images or these depictions of men that sort of go against that, that grain. Let me ask you this for a lot of people, a distrust of men originates in a betrayal story of some kind, whether that's a sexual assault, 
cheating, lying, whatever it is. And I think when you have a a repetition in experiences like that, you create a story like men are dangerous, men are bad. When we have these blanket beliefs, right, where we're just like painting with a wide brush that are rooted in trauma, what does it look like to start dismantling the belief? I would say first, um, for me, what has been helpful, the first thing is looking at the wiring and the programming of my nervous system. So for me, having grown up in in a space where I, like I said, I didn't feel like the men in my life were emotionally available. I felt abandoned a lot by the masculine. I felt not fully seen by the masculine. And so for me, if that is the programming of my nervous system, when I was younger, I then carry that out into my adulthood. And our nervous system is always looking for what is familiar. So if I experienced that in my early childhood, then in adulthood, that's going to feel familiar to me. Being with a partner who's emotionally unavailable, being with a partner who's not fully in integrity, all of the things, all of the ingredients that I saw basically growing up, that's wired into my nervous system. So I'm wired to attract a partner or to feel safe and comfortable with a partner who has those ingredients as well, which has been my experience. I have experienced betrayal. I have experienced different situations that were physically unsafe. When I was teenagers, I have experienced men well into their 40s looking at me sexually while I was a teenager, things like that, these little micro and sometimes not so micro um, moments of distrust can really, can really compound, can really compound and create the story on top of the nervous system wiring. So for me, the way that I've been able to kind of dismantle that belief is first by starting with my nervous system and allowing myself to be in the presence, physically in the presence of a man that I felt to be safe. And for me personally, in my journey, I took a Um, a year to specifically dive into healing my relationship with the masculine. And that looked like working with a practitioner, a a male practitioner, um, spiritual teacher, and allowing myself to really be seen by that person and to really be like, feel what it feels like in my body to be in the presence of that person while I'm being witnessed by them and all of my emotions and things of that nature. So that was a profoundly healing experience for me. And so that's where I started. And then I just, and then I just like continued that healing on by consuming the images and the movie. Like I literally, I kid you not, I only watch things where the representation of the man is something that I would desire in my own life. Throughout my early childhood years, I watched a lot of trash TV. (laughs) I listened to a lot of rap songs or just songs in general where they just were not honoring of women. And so now in my adulthood, I am hyper intentional to only consume content that is high value and that reflects and depicts what I desire in a partner and just in life in general. And so I carry that on in my practice, but it first started with rewiring my nervous system by actually being in the presence of a masculine that I felt emotionally and physically safe with. And then that carried on to friends with God, being friends with guys and just opening myself up to that as well. 
Oh my God, I'm I'm doing so much nodding over here because I'm like, yes, 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 and yes. You mentioned something that's this sort of microaggression that I didn't like. I don't even know if I've articulated this before, but you did it so beautifully of not feeling seen by the masculine. I mean, what an encapsulation of a massive thing I've experienced, but I didn't know how to put words to. My experience of quote unquote being seen by the masculine is I'm sexual to them in a way that they get to take advantage of or use. That's how I have felt seen or um, I have felt seen in like, your emotions are stupid, right? Like no one's attacking me per se, but it is an aggressive method of making women feel like they don't matter, like in their, in their soul. Yeah. (laughs) In the essence of their being. Yes. And it's so the beautiful thing about those who identify or lead more heavily into their feminine essence and energy, which most often are women, but that's not always the case because everyone holds the masculine feminine energetics within. But the beautiful thing is that the feminine is full of emotions. That's literally what we are It's the ocean, it's the wind, it's everything. And so to not be validated in that, it's literally, like you said, invalidating you at your very essence to the core of your soul. And so it's such a beautiful gift when you do receive it. And it's so disheartening when you don't receive it. Yeah. And yeah. And traumatizing. And I think you're, what you're saying also speaks to this book by Vivek Shreya around like everyone has femininity, everyone, everyone. And I think so often people who are, are born male or, um, you know, who are, who identify as men, they are taught immediately that they should not be feminine in any way. And that's part of this trauma, right? Like this is a much bigger conversation, but of course, like a man doesn't come to degrade the feminine on his own. That's Mm -hmm. part of this culture for me, what I can speak to is that what it feels like to not be seen by the masculine and how that's impacted me and how that's impacted my relationships. And it's interesting because just yesterday I was talking to a guy who I know from karaoke. I love to go to karaoke. And this guy said to me last week, he said, I'm I'm normally really good at like reading people, but I have a really hard time reading you. Like, Mm. I just don't, I can't like get a read. And I was like, what? That it shocked me because I feel, I mean, I have a podcast where I just like let it all out. I don't tell anybody anything. But what I realized after he and I talked about it, and then we talked about it again last night when I saw him at karaoke last night, is that it's because I don't show up with men in the same way that I show up with women. Mm. I don't show, and I'll say even further, I don't show up with straight hetero men the same way I show up with queer men. It's completely different for me because I'm immediately scared that they're going to see me as a means to an end and the end is sex. And so even though I've done all this work and I do feel open to meeting great guys, it was so interesting to hear that I, that I was shut down and I immediately knew it was true, even though I hadn't thought of it before he said it. As soon as he said, I was like, wow, yeah, I do feel guarded. And yeah, go ahead. 
No, I love that you mentioned that. Um, it's something that I definitely have experienced and it's also um, just speaks into the energetics and which is I'm an energy healer. So I love bringing in the energetics of the things. One thing for me is I noticed a couple of years ago that I, anytime I'm in the presence, so similar to what you mentioned, I'm in the presence of a, a straight man, especially don't let it be one that I'm actually attracted to. Um, <laughs> I completely turn my energy off. I put on a cloak of invisibility. And then now that I'm in the space of calling in partnership, I'll have moment or not now, but like a couple of years ago, I would have moments of wondering, well, why aren't they approaching me? And it's because like, I have completely turned my energy off. Like it cannot even be seen because our aura is felt, our energy is felt. And if we're in the space of not wanting to be seen, we have the the ability to like, just close that up in a second. And that's exactly what I taught myself to do at a very early age. And for me, I think it started when I would get attention from unwanted attention from men. And so it's been a journey to, to navigate that and kind of unravel that so that my truest radiance and essence can shine even in moments where um, I'm faced with a man that I'm deeply attracted to. (laughs) I hear that so hard. I actually brought up something similar on a recent episode on the episode on um, how to heal feeling stuck. I was talking about not being able to flirt Mm. because it feels so unsafe for me Mm -hmm. because I'm already being sexualized. If I flirt on top of it because I like you, then it's like I receive all this sexual attention where I feel totally unseen. Um, It's funny. I... (laughs) I covered Push It, Salt and Peppa at karaoke a couple weeks ago. And I post, I mean, classic, so good. <laughs> and it's a song that really allows me to be in this in sexual energy that feels so true for me. Like, you know, I just love that song. So, and I'm like a child of the 80s. So everything about it is just my favorite. And I posted a video of it to my Insta story. And then in like really big letters underneath, I wrote emotional intimacy because like to me, a song about like, I'm so into you. I want to have sex with you. Like that is a, a form of emotional intimacy, right? Like that is emotional intimacy for me. And this guy who I, who I don't know responded and said, I could watch you do this all day or something like that. And I just wrote back in all caps, emotional intimacy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. I I love that. That's how I feel about Janet Jackson's. Would you mind? I'm like, whoa, she, the, the fierceness and the vulnerability that she brought forth on that song is so inspiring. And yeah, I love your point too. That is also emotional vulnerability to be able to articulate that, especially to someone you care about. So I, I love that you mentioned that. Well, it was funny because I wrote that and then the guy didn't respond. (laughs) And I think that's, I think that's the thing is at the root of it, knowing what it is that we want in a partner or just the men in our lives in general and being able to easily identify when the people around us or the people who approach us don't match those criteria. They don't have it. 
And it's okay. Some people are just not going to have the things that we desire. They're just not going to be able to meet us where we are, especially in the depths of where we desire to go within intimacy, within love, uh, even within just friendship. And so being able to discern and not taking it as a personal, um, not taking it personal and having it mean something about me or like, oh, because this person didn't respond to me, um, that must mean I'm being too much. No, 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 no. He just literally cannot meet you where you're wanting to go. And so I think taking on that perspective is very helpful um, when we're opening ourselves up to re-engaging with men or with women, um, whatever the relationship is of, if you experience a lack of trust in general, um, opening yourself up in that way, just not taking it personal, knowing how to discern. Yeah. And I think that's something that I've gotten so much better at because before it would have made me feel really despairing. But this time I was just like, yeah, (laughs) yeah, don't like I wrote emotional intimacy on this video for a reason. It's because I don't want this kind of attention. That's Mm -hmm. it's like me being in my sexuality isn't like an invitation for you to sexualize me, which I know is just like, it's an odd thing, but it's just like, I am in my divine right now, buddy. (laughs) And if you can't respect that, then like literally you bounce out of my, my, my space, my field. Yeah. Yeah. I, one of the things that I've done um, is healing my relationship. When I was younger, I used to thrive literally on guys telling me how beautiful I was. And I had a period where I was a little bit of a, um, Wounded seductress. I would love to lure guys in only to just like leave them off to the side without having been intimate with them. But I just love the attention and the validation. So that was something that I definitely experienced um, in my early teenage, late teenage years, early 20s. And one of the things that when I realized that in my mid 20s, I healed my relationship to my beauty and I learned to, and myself in general, just myself in general. And I learned to validate myself. And so now when guys approach me and tell me how beautiful I am, I literally am not moved. I'm like, that is the lowest compliment that you can give me. Totally. And I feel like some, a lot of the times, especially for younger girls, but just for people in people in general, not just girls, Um, we can kind of lose ourselves of, oh my God, they told me how beautiful I was and maybe I should give them my number. And I'm like, no, (laughs) you can tell me I'm beautiful. You can tell me all of those things. It will not move me. Like what, what's your heart about? Like, what's your character? Do you operate in integrity and like picking up on that in the subtle ways throughout the conversation? That is what moves me. And so I think, I think when it comes to expanding our trust or learning to trust the masculine or men learning to open ourselves up to trust is expanding our baseline for what we're willing to accept. Yeah. That's such a huge thing. And it's such a practice, I think for a lot of us, let me ask you this. This is kind of a long question because there's a patriarchal aspect to this as well that we've talked about a couple of times and I want to kind of hone in on it. We live in a patriarchy where women are objectified, you know, we're undervalued, we're disproportionately subject to predatory behavior like rape and murder. I mean, women are are primarily who are raped and murdered and children in this culture. And of course, not just women, but queer folks as well, trans folks, black women specifically have experienced disproportionate levels of dehumanization and sexualization. And these are just cultural realities that we live in. Indigenous women, that's another one that's just like, you know, women of color. And I know that for me, anytime a therapist would try to 
pry my negative beliefs about men out of my hands, I would start to talk about the patriarchy because in my mind, I was like, there's no possible way to be safe because the danger is built into every system of our social structure, right? There's no escaping this. How do we balance a knowledge of the realities of patriarchal systems with a healthier, more balanced view of men that allows us to be open to trust? Yeah, that's such a such a big question. And I will share what works for me. Acknowledging the existence of the patriarchy is definitely something that I do not run from. And it is not the lens in which I base my life experience on. I feel like we, the way that the the state of the world in general, with all of the atrocities, if we allow ourselves to be totally consumed by that, then we are, from my perspective, missing out on the divinity of life, the beauty of life. And so for me, while I know that there are dark energies at play and patriarchy being one of them, I also know that there is love upon this earth, that there is divine love all around me. And that is what I fix my vision on. That is what I attune my body and my heart to. And that is in turn what I receive in my experience. And it's to not bypass everything else that the world is experiencing, but it's to honor and amplify the love that I do experience. And I feel for me personally, I feel like that is a part of the assignment. It's a part of living in a um, dualistic reality where both exist and I get the choice to say what I choose to focus on and what I choose to lean into. And that's always divine love. That is so beautiful. And it reminds me of part of working through trauma. One of the things I was told early on by my therapist was that traumatized thinking is, is like good or bad thinking, right? It's all good or it's all bad. And when we start to heal, we start to hold space for complexities, for multiple meanings and for multiple truths. And I love what you talk about, about like, I don't run from that. I know it's there. And I put my focus and my attention toward love and invite that into my life. And I think that is as we're healing, it's like, this is part of, this has been part of my work too. When that, that EMDR belief that we work to shift me towards away from men don't love women. Right. Which is like, obviously a traumatized thought that's like not true. Right. It's just not true, but moving it to some men don't love women, which like acknowledges my anxiety and my fear, right. That needs to be seen. And simultaneously, some men don't love women and some men really do really holding space for the fact that there can be multiple truths happening. And there are Mm -hmm. multiple truths happening around us all the time. And it's so easy, especially when we have been abused as kids to bring in traumatized thinking like a magnet, right? Because it makes us feel safe. Here's, here's the thing. It's safer in my nervous system as a traumatized, abused person to, or, you know, was an abused person. I'm not currently, um, to say 
men aren't men are bad, right? Because then I don't, I, I, there's no risk involved. If I think all men are bad, then I stay away from all men and I keep myself safe, right? That's what that traumatized thinking is trying to do. It's trying to keep you safe. And it's also not just like physically safe, which is obviously is a factor, but emotionally safe. Mm-hmm. There's grief behind men are bad. There's deep grief. I've even said this before that I think feminism is a trauma response from the culture. <laughs> the fact that we have to say we matter and fuck you, that's that or not that feminists say fuck you, but some do, you know, some feminists say fuck you. That's coming from grief of like, I've been so hurt, right? And so acknowledging that shutting down is a grief response and that part of opening ourselves back up is tending to that grief so that we can hold space for these dualities that you talk about. And I, I love that. Thank you. Um, yes. As you were reflecting on that. So thank you for sharing that. It just reminded me of one of the biggest healing journeys that I went on a couple of uh, years ago, in addition to being intentional of healing my relationship to the masculine. And I bring it back to energy because I'm an energy healer. But for me, um, so when I say healing my relationship to men, I typically am referring to the masculine, even though women embody the masculine and you can be in a same sex relationship and that energy is still present. But for me, I went on a journey of reclaiming my relationship to my feminine essence and what that looked like was reconnecting to my sexuality because I had closed it down. I shut it down because like we were speaking to earlier of um, kind of creating that cloak of invisibility because when I was younger, I was viewed sexually by men much older than me. And so as I continued to grow, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to turn it all off. I don't need it on. And I distanced myself further and further from men. And there was a point in my life where I had like no guy friends. I was not being approached by guys. I was not in a relationship. And so I created so much distance with myself in men because of that, like you said, trauma response of just not wanting to open myself up to that. It felt much safer. And so as I was on my journey of reclaiming my feminine essence and opening myself up sexually, but not just sexually, opening myself up in a deeper way spiritually as well, because for me, a lot of the beauty in life comes from the feminine. And so being able to see that as like the trees are moving in the wind and going and sitting and watching the ocean waves, like just moments like that, it brought me back to myself in a way that I cannot explain fully. And through that journey, I am now able to show up as my fully integrated self with the masculine energy within myself that I honor instead of shutting that down because at one point I did not trust men. And so not being able to trust the masculine energy that resides within me, coming into wholeness with both, I'm able to show up in my full radiance with the men in my life and with the men that I trust. So that was such a profound journey for me. And that is a path that I would recommend if someone is interested in that, if it if it calls to them and if that resonates with their heart. But I just know how powerful it was for me. I love that so much. I love that what we sometimes for well, I'll speak for my from my perspective as a heterosexual woman. I think I have shut down my own masculinity in a lot of ways because it hasn't felt safe Mm -hmm. because men were so scary for me growing up 
you know, mostly because of my dad, but also like boys at recess and, you know, like whatever, all these things, men just constantly felt scary to me. And the masculine felt scary. I only knew sort of traumatized masculinity. And so I never like anger even now is something that's hard for me to express because I associate it with the masculine and, and it's something for me to also like work on this connection with my own masculinity in the same way that we ask men to be connected to their femininity, Mm. asking ourselves, what does it look like to be in our healthy masculine, to be like, um, whatever, whatever there, I think there are different ways of thinking about it and talking about it. And some people don't even like the word masculinity. They like, you know, young energy, for example, or like, um, active energy, like, so it doesn't feel so gendered, but whatever, however, whatever verbiage you use for it, the being able to act on our needs and our desires, our ability to have boundaries, our ability to voice when we see an injustice, when something's not okay with it, right? All of these sort of the more of the masculine principle or the young principle. Yeah. Healing that within ourselves too. I love that so much. Tatiana, this has been such a gorgeous conversation and I'm just so, I have so much love for how intentional you are when we're having such a, such a intense conversation, you know, you know, it's intense. It it is intense. Yeah. But you've brought so much, so much to the table that I think is so healing. How can people contact you if they want to get a hold of you? Yes. Um, Thank you so much for what you've shared. And I've so enjoyed this conversation and it is a very intense or heavy or tender topic for many. And so um, I'm, I'm grateful that we were able to navigate it with such care together. And you can connect with me at on Instagram at the heartbreak doula or my website, tatianasimone.com. Great. Amazing. And if you want to get a hold of me, you can find me on Insta at the Patrama Party or on my personal Insta at Remy's R-E-M-E-E-Z. You can also email me at patramaparty at gmail.com. Again, if you have a topic you'd like to hear covered, this was a suggested topic and it was so, so good. It's so great. So yeah, hit me up. And if you want to join the Patrama Party community, you can find us on Facebook. It's such a cool group of listeners. We check in with each other about the stuff we're going through and offer support and resources. So if you're into that, just search the Patrama Party and I'll add you. Speaking of support, again, if this podcast has helped you and you have a minute, just rate, review, subscribe, baby. It really does help. And I read all the reviews. And if you'd like to support the pod, you can. You can give a dollar, five dollars, et cetera. I pour myself into this podcast. I put a ton of time and energy in. So if you're able and move to just go to podcasters.spotify.com forward slash pod forward slash show forward slash the patrama party and scroll down to the support button. You can also find the support option under the about tab on Spotify. And until next time, baby, enjoy the party. Bye. The information provided on this podcast is for informational purposes only. None of the material presented is intended to be a substitute for psychotherapy, counseling, professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. 
If you need to speak with a professional, find one local to you and reach out directly.